Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new episode of geek to me Radio. Today we'll be talking with Jim Oosley about the recently viewed Halloween Kills. We'll give our thoughts on the movie, a quick spoiler-free review. Later on, we'll talk with composer Zab Clark about composing the music for Wolf Boy and the Everything Factor on Apple TV. All that and more, stand by. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. For those of you driving around the greater St. Louis area tonight, hearing us on the big 550 KTRS, thank you very much for tuning in. If you're hearing us, streaming us out there in parts of the world on the interweb, thank you very much for finding us there. And of course, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form, wherever you get your podcast from, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever it is, thank you very much for subscribing and hopefully you're leaving us a five-star review to help us with our search engine optimization. We appreciate that help as well. So this week, I should say last week, because it's now Sunday, my days are all wibbly-wobbly, I got to go see Halloween Kills, brand new horror movie that's out starring Jamie Lee Curtis, and my horror movie buddy who always goes with me to these things, Jim Oosley, you might know him from, uh, we've had him on to talk about the Kickstarters, like Atonement Bell, and things like that, he's on the phone with me right now to help me review the movie. Jim, thanks for jumping on the air with me here. Thanks for having me, you know I love Halloween. That's true. I think you and I both share that it is our favorite holiday, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's my Christmas. Exactly. I'm ready. (laughs) And uh, we went and saw this movie, I guess it was Tuesday of last week, and we we both loved the last Halloween movie that came out with Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it made, like, it broke four or five records, the highest grossing horror movie with a female lead was one of the movie uh, records that it broke but it did ridiculous yeah. amount of money on only a 10 million dollar budget so uh, obviously a sequel was guaranteed right and a trilogy actually and uh next year we have halloween ends of course but that as you and i were leaving the theater i said is it going to end though because <laughs> they keep making money with these uh it's hard to yeah, see them know, stopping I, yeah you know i think this uh this version this this timeline will end you know, the David Gordon Green uh, timeline will end, if you will. I think this whole story with Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, I think it'll definitely come to an end next year with that chapter. Now, will they reboot it Reboot it eventually? I, I think definitely they will. People love seeing Michael Myers on the big screen. But I think as far as this particular story and this timeline, I think it's going to be ending next year for sure. Yeah, it'll it'll retire some of the characters, obviously. And again, no spoilers, but uh, we lost a few characters in this particular uh, installment here that we've been throughout the franchise. And it's kind of interesting. You, I think, are a bigger Halloween fan than I am as far as the movie franchise, because there were stuff that you picked up on that I I didn't I completely missed. 
So it's one of those things yeah. that they did nice little homages, and I was appreciating the nods in certain areas. But some of those Easter eggs were for diehard fans who have probably obsessed over the series and seen it several times, like yourself, that caught stuff I missed. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were, there were so many in there. There were nods to Halloween 3, um, Halloween 6. and What I thought was really, really kind of magical about it, not to be corny about it, but I thought the stuff they did that went back to the 1978 film, because obviously these, these current films tied directly into that. I thought they handled that so well. You know, what else is happening? Uh, what when Michael Myers escapes at the end of the first Halloween in 78. Um, and they, they brought back to life a couple of characters that I didn't expect, but I was delighted to see them. And it, it really, uh, without giving anything away, it really sort of subverts what we thought Michael was after. And the truth is something else that happened that night uh, sent the whole town into a different, um, a whole different uh, reactive behavior and sense of dread. And it was just handled so well, I thought. And one thing we can say is Michael Myers definitely beat James Bond because at the box office this weekend, it knocked Bond out of number one spot. Halloween took the first place, uh, bringing in $50.4 million, which uh, surprised some people. They didn't know it was going to be that big because evidently this was a simultaneous la- uh, launch on the Peacock network, if I'm not mistaken. So that's that's a pretty impressive opening for being a dual release. Yeah, that's really, really impressive. I think I think the box office, I think they underestimated uh, what it would do. It kind of surpassed that. And, yeah, with the Peacock streaming uh, attached to that, it's even more impressive. So it's people clearly love these movies, you know? And we talked about where this franchise might go, because, again, you and I chatted afterwards, and it's uh, whether or not it will incorporate Michael Myers, if there might be another little break, like when we got Seasons of the Witch, uh, if they'll do something different with the franchise. I'm not sure, because Michael Myers is more or less the face of the franchise, and Seasons of the Witch is kind of panned by a lot of people. It's like, eh, we didn't really care for it. So I'm not sure if they'll... Yeah, you know what, though? It's interesting. Over the past few years, people have really come around to Halloween 3, uh, Season of the Witch. I mean, I've, I've always been a really big fan of that film. Same, yeah. But it's really interesting to see people now go, you know, that was actually a really fun movie. But I think when we, I don't think we'll be seeing the Halloween franchise do that anymore. I think when we see a Halloween movie, it's going to involve Michael Myers. There's just no way around that now, you know? Um, it's just too embedded in the pop culture fabric. You know, people, that's just what people expect. I mean, I remember when Halloween 4 and 5 came out. I mean, they even put Michael Myers in the title. Like, okay, we're sorry about 3 that he wasn't in that, <laughs> but he's definitely in this one. Right. You know? We, the Return of Michael Myers, The Curse of Michael Myers. So, you know, they it, it's uh, it's pretty much expected that he's going to be in there. But it's weird, you know, with, uh, with Halloween Kills, I'm really surprised about how divisive it is because it's really divisive. Yeah, because I think even you and I had slight difference of opinions. We asked a couple other people on the way out, uh, you know, what they thought, and it was a, a lot of all over the board kind of things. I know I felt there were parts of it that I kind of wanted. I said to you, I want to reach for the remote control and fast forward through some of the slower bits, and you found the pacing totally on point. Yeah, I did. I mean, I you know I've, I've seen all the Halloween films, you know, <laughs> multiple times. Some of them maybe too many times, probably, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I thought the pacing was definitely on point. Um, I'm really surprised that, that like, like I said before, the divisiveness, because I thought that, that they reached back 
And when they did the 1978 scenes, they did them so well. They really altered the trajectory of the story, what we had thought everything was about. And I thought that the kills um, were absolutely outstanding. I mean, I, I know I saw one guy, a friend of mine on Twitter, talk about he was the gore really surprised him, surprisingly. But um, I, I thought it was great because essentially, they're, you know, it's, it's the anti-slasher slasher movie. You know, it's, it, it works so well because it reminds you you're not supposed to be rooting for this guy, for yeah. Michael Myers, to, to all these really cool people in, in terrible ways. You know, he's, he's pure evil, and he was showing the victims really suffer. Now, having said that, he, you know, David Gordon Green, uh, you know, and his writers, they kept it really fun. But, you know, I, I think this is like a perfect middle chapter. We had the last one, you know, obviously the first film, and then we had the 2018 Halloween that brought us all up to date with where Haddonfield was at now. And this is clearly like the dark middle chapter, you know, that's going to set up the big, you know, uh, finish and Halloween ends. But I thought that, uh, you know, you, you kind of get to know these people. He, uh, there's no jerks getting killed ironically. Like, you know, there's, you know, beloved characters that get off. There's uh, like, there's the old couple and this, that's not a spoiler because it's, it's in the trailers, but you know, these are people that you really like um, and terrible things happen to them. And this movie is all about showing you that after all these years of Michael Myers being pent up, he's, he's gotten even worse. Uh, the amount of abuse he can take has <laughs> yeah. gotten even more, you know, uh, his pain threshold is, is widened a bit. And there's, they're, they're clearly hinting at something else going on with him, I think, you yeah. know, um, nobody, no, no man can take what he uh, absorbs in this film. Yeah, no, and, no, uh, no amount of great. hate, no amount of hate pushing you forward and desire to kill is going to be able to withstand. Because like, I think you and I recounted several of the injuries that he took. It's like he's supposed to be the same age as Jamie Lee Curtis, or roughly the same age. So there's no way a 60 year old something man would be able to take all of that damage that we saw him take and just get right back up and be like, okay, here we go. So I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to hint at some kind of a supernatural aspect, which I feel sometimes ruins that for me because I one of the things I've always talked about is supernatural versus the slashers and supernatural is something you will have trouble fighting against if it's a slasher you can pull out a, a, a gun and you know do some serious damage take down a knife wielding maniac but it seems like like you said there might be something more going on yeah and I'm not sure what that is I mean they, they've really done a good job as the 78 film did of setting this in a a grounded real world, right? Yeah. But we also have to remember that, you know, at the end of the film, at the end, at, at the end of the first film in 78, you know, he's shot several times, falls out a window onto his back. Loomis looks at him and he's gone. He gets away. So this has been sort of the thing from the beginning. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure they're going to even explain how that happens. So I think the whole point is he's not, um, Spoiler alert, really, after anybody, he's just pure evil. Yeah. And that that's where the threat is. And that's why he's kind of become scary again in these David Gordon Green films. You know, um, you know, in these films, he's not uh, Laurie Strode's brother. So 
you know, he's not just after her or her bloodline. It could be anybody. It yeah. could be any of us that are his victims. And that's what makes it intimidating. And I will say the film was unnerving. I didn't particularly, I mean, and you may differ with me on this, I didn't find it particularly scary. It was very unsettling. It was very, a lot of uh, tension, especially in those crowd scenes that we saw. And again, I'll, I won't spoil anything. You'll know it when you see it. But it was more uh, a lot of unease, a lot of tension with a few jump scares thrown in. But I think that worked in the film's favor, honestly. Yeah, you know, I think um, after seeing so many films, you know, in this genre, in the horror genre, I, I'm rarely scared anymore, like actually scared anymore. Um, as you know, I jumped a couple times during Halloween Kills. So it's still effective on that level. I think, I think this is like the 12th or 13th film overall in the whole series. And it's still, after all those films, it did a pretty good job of being uh, kind of creepy and, if not scary, having a solid sense of dread about it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And again, we're talking with Jim Oosley about Halloween Kills. Uh, saw this movie and we're giving a spoiler free, free review. I don't want to keep you too much, Jim, because I know you jumped on as a favor to me here at the last minute. So I appreciate your time. But uh, I will say that with this one being 54 point, I'm sorry, 50.4 million for opening weekend. The last Halloween movie did gangbusters. Of course, we're that wasn't during a uh, pandemic or anything like that at the box office. But I'm wondering with the third chapter being the end of the, you know, the Halloween ends, this will be, I wonder uh, what we might expect if uh, numbers are the same across the board. Are, have these two movies made you more excited for the final chapter or are you kind of just like, eh, we'll wait and see? Uh, no, I, I am really, really excited about the next chapter. And I, I've read, and this isn't a spoiler, I've read that the next film, Halloween ends, there's a big time jump. So Halloween ends will take place like now you know, after the, you know, and they'll be acknowledging the pandemic and, and things like that. So um, now that they're doing that, I have no idea what to expect. And I love that because it's been years, you know, since I've, I've really been thinking, oh, I wonder what the next Halloween movie is going to be like. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, I really don't know. You know, I, I will say that the only thing that I, if I had a critique of this one, it's that um, a lot of the uh, mob rule stuff, um, and repeating the evil dice tonight. I think that was a little bit, a little bit too on the nose, mm-hmm. but I think because it's a horror film and I'm not being an apologist or trying to explain away it, but explain it away. But I think that it was, it was meant to, because of the chaos and the killings going on, I think it was really sort of their idea was to really push out that message to where you could not miss it. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but that's really my only critique, and I, I really had fun. I actually, we saw it Tuesday. I went back to see it Thursday. Oh, really? And I'm seeing it with a friend uh, this Friday. <laughs> so, Does it, has your view? Did your uh, did your opinions any opinions change at all between the first and second viewing? I really liked it uh, the first time that you know that you and I saw it. The second time I saw it, it did. What one thing that really stuck out actually the second time was the score. Um, by uh, John Carpenter and his son, and I forgot the name of the third composer. But the the score was fantastic. I, yeah. I really loved it, and it did such a good job of like ratcheting up the uh, uh, the whole the atmosphere and the whole vibe of it. So, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing it again.
Yeah, and a lot of the gore was uh, the gore and the violence was over the top. But again, it is a slasher movie, so I didn't mind that. I was I was thinking that as it was kind of throwing back things to the seventies. If I remember correctly, watching seventies movies on VHS when I wasn't supposed to, that that's the way slasher movies were supposed to be: full of gore, lots of violence. You know, like the original uh, Friday uh, Friday the Thirteenth movies and things like that. So I didn't have a problem with that either. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's just, you know, the the very first Halloween actually didn't have much gore at all in it. But um, once movies started, like, being influenced by Halloween, they, they just ratcheted up the gore, you know. And I think in Halloween Kills, though, it, again, it's it's treated a little bit differently. It's, it's there's there's a, the fun gore stuff, in, and there's a lot of it in there. But it's it's not, they're not telling you the root for it, though. You know? Right. They're like, yeah, this this is not cool. This is not good that he's doing this to these people, and uh, you shouldn't be clapping for him. Right. You know, you should be rooting on the the citizen Hadfield and, and you know, rooting then on to to take him out. Yeah. But overall, uh, I, I thought it was a very solid movie, especially this is the uh, – we're in October. This is a great time to see scary movies in the theaters, and if, if you're going to get out and see one – Halloween Kills, I I would recommend it. I'd say go out and if you're looking for a good time, uh, uh, I'd say take uh, take someone with you and go see Halloween Kills. I agree. Jim Oosley, as always, thank you so much for your time. And again, if you if you've been listening before, you know Jim from the Atonement Bell and uh, all of his other work he's done on Kickstarter. We'll have him on again, no doubt, cool. sometime soon. That'd be great, man. I appreciate. It. Thanks very much. Thank you, James. Anytime. There he goes. Jim Oosley. Uh, appreciate the time. And of course, if you are listening right now, we are going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come right back in just a moment and we will talk with Zav Clark about composing the music for Wolf Boy and Everything Factory. Please stand by. Hi, this is Brent Spiner. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Geek to Me Radio, live every Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. My thanks once again to Jim Oosley for helping me review Halloween Kills. And, of course, if you're going to go out and see a movie, the official movie sponsor of Geek to Me Radio is Marcus Theaters. Marcus Theaters and Movie Tavern, the best places to see a movie. If you're going to get out and see Halloween Kills, if maybe you haven't seen No Time to Die yet, uh, I know Dune... The, the Dune comes out next week, the remake of Dune. But Dear Evan Hansen's out. Uh, all sorts of great movies. The Adams Family 2, which was the great animated follow-up to the last one that was out, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And, of course, tickets go on sale very soon, if not uh, very soon, yeah, for Eternals, the next chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Go to the website, MarcusTheaters.com. You can find the location of the Marcus Theaters of the Movie Tavern closest to you. Obviously, if you're here in the greater St. Louis area, Illinois and Missouri, lots of great Marcus Theaters to choose from. If you're a little further out, there are the movie taverns in places like Arkansas, Colorado, Kentucky, Louisiana, Pennsylvania. No matter where you go, it's a great time at the movies. Marcus Theaters has gone above and beyond in making sure everything is clean, everything is up to code, everything is uh, good for if you're worried about COVID still. Uh, check with your local theater. Some are still requiring masks, depending on the location, everything like that. But you can even download the app. This is what I love to do is download the Marcus Theaters app. If I'm out and about and I'm not sure where I am, 
I can use the Marcus Theaters app to find the location of the Marcus or Movie Tavern closest to me. And you can even order your concessions right there on the app, too, so they're ready and waiting for you for a more contactless experience. And if you're going to go... I'd say sign up for the Marcus Movie Magical Rewards because you will get rewards for seeing movies. Every time you see a movie, every time you buy concessions, you get points. Those points can then be redeemed for more movies and concessions. And right now they also have a special, their Sunday Passport. You enjoy four movies for $20 between now and, I'm sorry, December the 12th. And that also entitles you to 20% off all your food and drinks in theater, of course. So you can go to the website, start there, Marcus Theaters. As we always say, it's the best movie-going experience in the galaxy. My guest right now is a very talented composer. I love talking to composers because they they uh, they think differently than actors, and they, they are brilliant with the projects they come up with and how they score these. And like Jim Oosley was just saying about Halloween, he went back and saw it a second time. You focus on the music when you do something like that. You see it for a second time, and you, you notice it, and the music can really make or break a film. And that's not the exception. That's generally the case. Movies are nothing without the music that kind of drives the action or builds the tension. And so now we're going to talk to Zav Clark all about the music for his project, Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory. Right now we're talking to the composer of the brand new Apple TV series, Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory, Zav Clark. How are you? Hello, James. I'm good. Thanks very much. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. I always love talking to composers. Um, back when I was very little, they got me on to uh, violin in grade school, and I graduated to the upright bass, and I had to get away from the bass because my music teacher said I sound like a young Jack Benny, and that was not a, evidently a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for doing this. So obviously this project, uh, these Apple TV, these streaming services are putting out such great content, and I love a lot of the animated stuff that's coming out. And now we've got Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory. You're no stranger to composing and doing music for animation series. Talk a little bit about uh, how you landed this gig. Did you apply for it? Were you asked to audition? Yeah, absolutely. I was. I was asked to audition, and um, and yeah, it was. They sent me over the animatics, and uh, we didn't know the name at that stage, so I had no idea. It had a sort of working title, which wasn't the real title of the show. And as soon as I saw the the footage, the animatics, I was just absolutely hooked. I thought, blimey, this is this is the best cartoon I can remember seeing. So I kind of, you know, I, I put everything into those six days uh, to give my best pitch that I possibly could, and very luckily um, ended up landing the job. Um, so that was nice. Yeah, I got. I guess I got into composing. Um, Completely by accident, really. That's really? the I suppose that's the interesting thing about my story is that I was just um, I've always been in bands and I've always just kind of been like a musician playing in bands and I, I never had much aspiration to do anything except that. I mean, it's what I loved, you know, doing a bit of sessioning here and there, going on tour with bands. Um, but then I started doing sort of like a part-time job in a, a studio where they made sound effects for cartoons and they did voiceovers and Foley and things like that. And um, through being around some of the productions there, I just kind of haphazardly fell into doing bits of music for them. Hmm. And do you still do live performing as well? Because some people get into the studio and they just fall in love with composing and the live performing kind of falls by the wayside. But a lot of people say, well, there's that that pull. They miss the performing in front of a live audience. Do you still do that as well? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think, you know, COVID's made it very difficult for everybody performing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I still, for me, music is all about, you know, the balance. And um, I think that one area inspires the other, really. So for me, I still play with my, with my band, Itchy Teeth, and I still, you know, do as much uh, getting in a room and playing music with people as possible, because I think it all helps. And it kind of makes each aspect better, really, if you're kind of switching activities. Right, absolutely. And you talked about being in the studio with the, with the voice. Have you ever wanted to do any voice acting as well? Or is it, have you, is it just want to <laughs> stick with the music side? No, I'd love to see some voice acting. I've done some cameos in the in the amazing world of Gumball. Yeah. I definitely did a few kind of little cameos, and and also in uh, Elliot from Earth in the uh, theme tune, in which a multitude of aliens all say, "I'm not from Earth." I was lucky enough to be asked to be one of the aliens that shouts, "I'm not from Earth." So that was my 15 milliseconds of voice acting. <laughs> <for me. laughs> <laughs> it must have been like that Seinfeld episode where they're trying to deliver the line. These pretzels are making me thirsty. Everyone say I'm, I'm not. I'm also not from Earth. Give it. Give me the line a little bit differently. <laughs> it was. Do you know what? I think I think they thought they'd ask me and that I'd just, you know, just blast out or something. But I think we did eight different sort of takes of it. But I mean, each take is in. I would send them over sort of like 20 versions each time. And then they'd kind of be like, oh, no, there's nothing in there. Could you try it a bit more like this? And then it took longer than most of the music did, actually. <laughs> so so you're, you're bang on there. And obviously, you mentioned Amazing World of Gumball. You did uh, you composed seven episodes of that. You were in the music department for that one as well. And then Elliot from Earth comes along, I guess, about two years later. But it, it, things that are posted in 2021, I often wonder with COVID taking up so much of 2020, how, how long did that actually start from when it was actually released? Was it something that started during Amazing World of Gumball that you were working on, Elliot from Earth? Um, yes, it did. I mean, just to set the record completely straight, I, uh, I composed songs uh, in Gumball and I did a little bit of score, but I, the seven episodes is probably, uh, you know, song uh, episodes that contain the songs I wrote for the show. Um, but absolutely, I mean... I, while I was working on those songs, I really, really wanted to get into, you know, scoring uh, as well. And then very luckily, the people that made The Amazing World of Gumball, well, quite a lot of the team, they moved on to this other show. And I think they were happy with the songs I've been writing for Gumball. So they kind of wanted to test the water and see if, if I'd be interested in uh, scoring this new show. So I made them a bunch of new music and... I, you know, I wrote a kind of perspective theme tune, even though I hadn't seen any images or didn't know anything about the show, but I definitely wanted to show my enthusiasm. They told me it was about a boy, you know, who's homesick in space and it's got kind of an 80s vibe was the thing that they said at the beginning, hmm. um, which it didn't end up having in the end. But it definitely, I think the reference points for the music, you know, they, they really wanted epic, you know, kind of... Uh, real epic sci-fi score so i did my own you know interpretation of that but i guess in that way it was kind of maybe quite 80s but um but no there was to, sorry to go back to your question i just realized it's a huge tangent no, that's um, <laughs> but yeah it was um it did take a long time for elliot from earth from its first conception and development for it to actually be released in 2021. Wolfboy was a, was a very different turnaround time. I mean, I found out about it in February. I was signing contracts and working on the show about a week and a half later. And, uh, and then it's out in August. But Elliot from Earth really did kind of, I think I first heard about the project in 2018 and probably first started doing music 
yeah, 2017 or 2018, just the first bits. And it just took a long time to get made and to come out um, from, you know, the time that I was involved with it. Uh, yeah, obviously Wolfboy took a long time as well, but I wasn't involved with uh, the first part of the development as I was with Elliot from Earth. And each composer has their own preference. If, if you've got more time to play with it, I guess you can kind of go in and nitpick little things here. It's like, oh, I kind of want to change this, whereas some people like it's a short deadline. I'm going to get in, do everything I can, and after that, they kind of wash their hands of it. It is what it is. Do you have a preference? Like the, the shorter turnaround time makes the pressure and makes a better product like a diamond, or do you kind of like having more time to develop the sound and everything like that? Uh, that's a good question. I think that... I, I I actually I take the first road that you said, which is that I really like having a short time. I even if I have a long time, chances are that I won't spend that time anyway. Really, I'm not a perfectionist by any stretch of the imagination. I like to just kind of music for me is about addressing the emotion, about addressing the vibe, and putting kind of you know your enthusiasm and passion into it. And I think that after a while, you've kind of had your best ideas and. Sure, you can refine little bits here and there, but it's not really, you know, kind of, yeah. I, I feel that the main the main kind of thing of the music is cre created quite quickly. So I do like to work fast. However, I also don't like the uh, actual pressure of tight deadlines. Right. So I like the results, but I don't like the pressure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, obviously, if somebody says, oh, give it to me in a month, that's wonderful. But this industry definitely is a tight deadline kind of industry anyway. So... The, you know, I don't usually have that luxury. Sure, yeah. And with this, I, I was listening to some of the sample soundtracks they sent over to me, and Star Trial is one of my favorite, The Dream Jungle, but they all have this great, whimsical, fun, fantastical sound. It, it's uh, it's just really a joy to listen to, and obviously when you put the animatics behind it, it really kind of sets the tone. So talk a little bit about finding the tone and the the sound for wolf boy and the everything factory we're gonna pause right there take our next commercial break come back and chat more with zav clark after this so please stand by Hey, this is Yuri Lowenthal, but you may know me recently as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. And you're listening to geek to me Radio. Yuri Lowenthal, just one of the fantastic guests we've had on the show in the past. He was actually just on, I want to say three weeks ago, we had him and Parvesh China live on the air with us, uh, just talking about voice work in general and their careers. If you have missed an episode somehow, go to the website Geek to me radio.com you can check out all of our backlog of different episodes we've had with a lot of these great guest stars that i'm fortunate enough to get to talk to from comic creators to directors to writers to uh, voice actors to stage and screen actors and of course composers like zav clark who we're talking to during this particular episode of geek to me radio but yeah please go to the website geek2meradio.com. Play around there. Uh, you can check out the past interviews we've done. You can shoot me an email if you have a suggestion for a guest that I haven't had on that you might like to hear from. And I'm always trying to get new guests all the time. Uh, just keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram as well, at geek to me radio Give us a follow on those platforms. Uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash geek to me radio Give the page a like there as well. And, of course, if you go to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel, just find geek to me radio on YouTube 
and hit that subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. We have a goal to get to 1,000 subscribers by the end of this year. So if you could be one of those subscribers, we would greatly appreciate that. As I said, we were chatting with Zav Clark all about Wolf Boy and the Everything Factor. Before we took that last break, we were talking to him about how he found the tone for this particular project. Well, the animation is very much uh, done from the ethos that they wanted to make uh, the show look like Wolf Boy could have made it himself. To help you kind of like enter his world, it needed to look like he could have drawn it because Wolf Boy loves to create things. And um, and so also the music tried to approach the music from that angle too. That uh, you know we wanted the music to be sophisticated in emotion and sophisticated in in tone and sophisticated in its ambition, but also to be kind of um, slightly rough around the edges, as if Wolfboy could have made it himself, and warm and analog and quite handmade, uh, just like the nature of the show. So arriving at that tone was very much um, a mixture of that concept, but also realizing that what we're looking at in the Everything Factory is a world that we've never dreamt of before. We've never been there, you know. It's not it doesn't fit into you know uh, the usual kind of genres of fantasy, of science fiction. It really is a kind of it's a new world in there where they're making things that that we see in this world. Uh, but who knows what the factory where they make these things, you know, would sound like or look like or feel like. So I wanted to take instruments that, that you know, that I knew and that are, are reminiscent of things that we hear on records. But I wanted to try and, like, twist them around and manipulate them. So I would try to use them in ways that, you know, weren't correct, which is quite handy because I don't always play all instruments that great. I mean, <laughs> I like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a guitarist and uh, and I play the piano and the drums and stuff. But I'm I've got a flute and I've got a recorder and a trumpet, and I'm certainly not proficient at those. But it was really fun to take those instruments, kind of make strange samples out of them and twist them, put them through effects pedals, and and use my naivety with those instruments to try and kind of address the naivety that was going on in in the show, you know, address the fact that, yeah, he's in a world that he doesn't know. And I tried to reflect that in the music, that I'm also in a world that I'm not 100% sure of and that we've never heard before. So it's it should sound it should sound emotional and pick out the right emotions, but it should also sound fairly experimental and strange for a kid's show was, was what I was going for, I suppose. Yeah, and it's it, it it's one of those things I was thinking about too as I was listening to the soundtrack that the 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 when you think about the animation when you think about uh, like all the way back to the Looney Tunes cartoons but even more recently like Animaniacs and shows like Bluey which I are written obviously for kids but they've got that humor and the edge that is there for the adults as well. When you're yeah. doing the music, I often wonder I'm like, do the music when when you know this is going to be a cartoon aimed at this age demographic? You're not necessarily yeah. writing the music for that age demographic, though. You're writing the music that fits the style of the sh- the genre, knowing that multiple people are going to be watching this and listening to it. Absolutely. And I, I mean, case in point with Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory, I, I really personally don't feel like it's uh, a typical kid's show. Um, I feel that it, it really, it goes beyond that. I mean, there's there's many kind of emotionally difficult moments in there that, you would maybe be afraid to to kind of address uh, with a child, perhaps on a TV show. That I think is quite brave for them to do that. 
And also it's just, it can, it really gripped me. I mean, watching it, you know, as, as we went along and, and made it, I was so gripped by the plot. I was like, what's going to happen next? Um, <laughs> I truly believe as well that I, when I make music, I don't want to make music that in any way is sort of like dumbed down to yeah. kind of, try to appeal to a certain I, I'd like to I, I think that children's imaginations and emotions are to a large extent even more complex and kind of sophisticated than ours and I, I certainly remember being a child I my emotions were incredibly high and raging everywhere and you know going through every extreme and and I wanted to to, to reflect that in the music and I wanted it to to be as sophisticated as, as I think you know a, a child feels and, and imagines things so I, I tried quite actively to just score it as I would as if it was, you know, for adults as well. Mm. I didn't want to dumb down the music in any way or, or the emotions in it. Absolutely. And that kind of that really comes across when you when you see it and everything. And again, if you're listening right now, Wolfboy and the Everything Factory is available on Apple TV. It started September 24th, so you can catch it on Apple TV. Uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about, you mentioned being an instrumentalist, being uh, a musician. You were on screen in yesterday, which was one of my favorite movies of 2019 uh, as one of the guitarists in Jack's band. So you got to be on camera and have that, uh, you know, in such a great movie with all those Beatles songs and everything like that. If you would talk a moment about your experience doing yesterday. And we'll get that answer from Zav Clark right after this quick commercial break. Stand by. Hi. This is Carl Lovely, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. We're back chatting with composer Zab Clark this hour. Before we took that last break, we're asking him about getting to play guitar in the film yesterday. All that great Beatles music. Uh, what a treat that must have been for him. Yeah, I mean, oh, wow. Doing yesterday was really a sort of highlight of, of my life. It was incredible. Um, yeah, I... Danny Boyle essentially, well, in a roundabout way, uh, a friend of a friend showed Danny Boyle a video of us, uh, my band Itchy Teeth, performing a Beatles song in, in the streets of Italy. I think it was Ticket to Ride that was on YouTube that someone had taken on their iPhone. Huh. And then it somehow landed us this job, which is incredible. But, I mean, the Beatles are a huge part of, you know, why I even wanted to be in bands and why I wanted to play instruments. Um and and so for me, it was just the highest honor to kind of get to, to play this music. It was very much under the supervision of the other incredible composer, Daniel Pemberton, who composed the music mm. and um, kind of organized all the music. Daniel worked um, with uh, a good friend as well called Ardem Ellen. And, um, and under, you know, the direction of Danny Boyle, they kind of wanted the, mu the, the Beatles music to be reinvented in a certain way. Um, which meant that it was really fun to try and kind of bring this vision to life, you know, to kind of to think, oh, OK, well, how do they want the Beatles to sound? And it was there were some, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy moments, man. I mean, <laughs> favorite bit was because we actually recorded all the stuff in Abbey Road in the same studios. Oh, wow. With all the same equipment, which was just absolutely nuts anyway. And I had to play a lot of I was playing a lot of lead guitar, so I had to. I had to play the solo to something by George Harrison. I mean, it, the pressure of that was just insane. Like the honor and the pressure of one of these famous guitar solos. Um, but then also, yeah, I had to 
we wanted to do the solo to a hard day's night backwards. So I had to learn the whole solo backwards wow. and then play it, play it backwards. And then they flipped it around so that it was the right way around, which is quite, quite fun. That was quite a lot of homework. But yeah, it was it was great. We we went on tour for a few days with with Ed Sheeran, and we kind of played in the stadiums after he finished each night, and um, it was just a wonderful experience going through it with my band. You know, like my two other best friends, just kind of thinking, "Wow, isn't this insane?" And you know, meeting all the people, and yeah, it was a real honor. And the fact that you got that gig based on a YouTube video just shows that the power of social media, and you never know who's watching. That's so cool. I know yeah it was it was mad so Charlie in our band he uh he was giving piano lessons and uh he was teaching um a boy called Winter he was teaching him a Beatles song on the piano and then Winter's dad who turned out to be the um yeah what mu- the assistant musical director on the show Ardem he uh he said oh like are you in a band because we're looking for a band at the moment to be in a film no promises obviously and so it just happened spontaneously like that. It just happened to be that the dad of somebody who was teaching, you know, being taught piano. So in music, I think it's a very good example of how you should never underestimate anything, no matter how small it is in the world of music. It always leads to something something great eventually in a roundabout way. Absolutely. And who were some of your influences growing up? Because you said you kind of fell into composing backwards. Obviously, music's been a big part of your life. Who were some of your influences? You mentioned the Beatles being one of the reasons, but is there anyone else? Was there a a music teacher in in, uh, primary school or anything like that? Or just, I heard this album and I knew this is what I wanted to do with my life? Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that my dad was a huge influence on on me. He used to play the piano and he played guitar as well um, at home. And, you know, he just kind of, he was so passionate about music. So that really rubbed off on me. He would do these great things. Like he would kind of like, be like, Zav, come down here. I'm gonna, I need to play you something. And he'd kind of shut the doors and he'd make it like a, an event. And he'd, I remember he did it with a few songs like Powderfinger by Neil Young or The Beautiful Ones by Prince, Rufus Wainwright, Peach Trees. And he'd kind of sit me down in a chair and then just, put up the music so loud that it was nearly painful. And he'd be like, no, you're not allowed to speak till the song's over, you know? And just kind of have this experience of, wow, like the music being so loud and hitting you. And he'd always want to talk about the lyrics afterwards or what it was like, you know, he, he really enjoyed, he was a real passionate music fan. And that really rubbed off on me. But I suppose the one night that changed everything for me was I went to see my favorite band, The Flaming Lips, when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was very, you know, I wanted to take chances in my, in my own hands, so to speak. That's a terrible, that's not even an expression. Sorry, I'm <laughs> bad. Um, I was kind of, I was feeling ballsy and I pretended to be the support act backstage. And so I said to the, the security guard, I was like, oh yeah, I'm here for the show. I'm Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, who were this band that was supporting the Flaming Lips. And um, and the security guy said, oh, yeah, great. Come on in. You know, you're late. Everyone's late for you. And so I managed to get backstage and hang out with my heroes, my absolute favorite band of all time still to this day, The Flaming Lips. And um, the lead singer, Wayne and Stephen, they were so nice. I, t- I fessed up straight away and I said, I'm sorry. I've just totally blagged this. You know, like I, I'm just I barge things. I wanted to meet you. And they were so cool. And, and Wayne Coyne told me, you know, man, you should be in you should be in a folk band, man. Like, look at you. You should be in a folk band. And, and when they played the gig later that evening, he dedicated uh, Do You Realize the song to me. 
And there was some other of my friends there from school. And he was like, this one's for you, Zab, mother. Beep, beep, beep. And, <laughs> and so that changed my life. It was just the most amazing feeling that, you know, that dreams can come true with music and that these guys that I'd idolized for so long, they were just there doing it, you know, going around on tour, playing gigs, mixing with their fans and having the best life. And I just kind of thought, well, I want that for myself. <laughs> and fortune favors the bold. Had you not done that slip backstage, who knows what would have happened? That's a great story. Wow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got you to gotta go for these things. And uh, again, Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory on Apple TV. If you want to check out more of Zab's work, he does all the composing for that particular one. It, does does music and composing work the same way as like acting? Like if this gets, uh, again, without giving away anything at the end of this series, if it gets picked up for a second season, are you in to do the music for that as well? Or do you have to like, is it from scratch? You have to come in again and say, I want to do it again. How does that work? We're going to get that answer from Zav Clark right after this, so please stand by. Hey, I'm Dan Fogler, everybody's favorite muggle, and this is Geek to Me Radio. And we're back. Wrapping up the show tonight, before we let you go, we need to make sure we tell you about our premier sponsor, the people without whom geek to me Radio would not be going on for just a little over five years now. It's, of course, the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. Check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. They have their Legends and Lanterns Festival currently going on down there. If you're a Halloween fan, this is the place to be. You can hang out and write a story with the Brothers Grimm. You can uh, hold court with the Queen of Hearts. You can accuse witches with Abigail Williams. And you can sing karaoke with Phantom of the Opera. There's something for everybody going on down there. It's a great time. It's family-friendly, and it's free. So if you're looking for something to do next weekend, Friday night, and then Saturday and Sunday, you can check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. Click on the Events tab and get more information there. It's a spirited journey through Halloween, and it is one of the best places to be during this time of year. St. Charles is always a great place. If you're from out of town, come visit and hang out. You can plan your entire trip just by going to the website, discoverstcharles.com. As we always say, it's an historically good time. Talking with uh, talking with composer Zav Clark, wrapping up the show here, and we asked him in the last question. We said, "Will he be attached uh, for Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory if it gets a second season?" I know. Do you know what? I wish I knew the answer to that question. Uh, if I did, I would certainly, you know, save myself some some anxiety. I think. <laughs> um, so they released ten episodes of uh, Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory, but the fantastic news is there are ten more already made. Oh, perfect. So. I think it's going to be that there will be a second sort of release um, with another 10 episodes from there. I think we don't know what's happening. And um, also sometimes being a a composer can kind of mean that everybody else is kind of really working together. It's a very collaborative process with the animation and with the writing and the art direction and stuff. But being a composer can sometimes mean that you're kind of, you're you're in the cupboard on your own and you're kind of <laughs> you know, although everybody's really great and communicates with me um i i wouldn't know i wouldn't be in the sort of the hub uh to know exactly what's going on in terms of next seasons um but i certainly hope so and i really hope i get to do uh another season of wolf boy i mean i love this show and making music for it has just been so amazing because 
the the creators, the executive producers, they've all just kind of said, be as crazy as you want, do whatever you want, you know, yeah. and they wanted the music to just be nuts and they've really encouraged it to be idiosyncratic, different. And so from that point of view, it's been the most musical freedom I've ever had on a project like this. So I've loved it and I hope to return. Well, looking forward to the next 10 episodes as well. And hopefully if they do season two, Hopefully you'll be back in the composing chair doing all the music again. Where can people find you? I know you've got your website, zavclark.com, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you're listening to this online right now, uh, there'll be a link to his website. Where else can people find you? Social media handles, anything like that that you're active on? Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm zav, zav, zav. So just my name three times, really. Uh, (laughs) And uh, yeah, on YouTube, Zav Clark. I think if you just... On my website, if you type in Zav Clark on Google, you'll probably find links to, to everything. And big five, I've got a solo album coming out um, in a couple of months called Magic Arrow. So if you like the soundtrack for Wolfboy and the Everything Factory, please, you know, give us a follow. And uh, when the next record comes out, you'll be able to hear it, which, which would mean a lot to me. And again, zabclark.com, X-A-V, Clark with an E at the end, dot com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And make sure you check out Wolf Boy and the Everything Factory streaming on Apple TV. Zab Clark, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for your time and continued success to you. Thank you very much, James. It's been really awesome talking to you. Thank you. Thanks again to Jim Oosley for reviewing Halloween Kills with me. Thank you, of course, to Zab Clark for chatting about his, the music for Wolf Boy and Everything Factory. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Of course, thanks to Joey V, my executive producer, makes everything sound as good as it does. Until next week, my friends. Thank you, Haddonfield, Illinois. Good night. Hey kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say referral geek to me radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.